Week 12 in the NFL, less than 24 hours from kicking off with the Thanksgiving Day triple header. Here to break things down across the betting board ahead of the holiday in the United States, I'm joined by a good friend across the pond over in Germany and a great friend of the show, NFL better Fabian Summer. You can find Fabian's work on the Forward Progress YouTube channel twice a week, going live with G-Stack Torso, Fides, and oftentimes also with Cleve TA on Mondays for an NFL Week in Review session. And also on Wednesdays, he's fresh off the Wednesday show today, where he joins Rob Pizzola, Eric Eager, and oftentimes Titman for some NFL best bets of the week. On the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can follow Suma at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. Suma, great to see you again. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Matt, uh, glad to be back. It's It's been quite some time, or at least it feels like that. I, mean, I think uh, last time was in January. So feels good to be back on your podcast. And uh, is it is it too early to say Happy Thanksgiving or can I already say that? I'll take it. I mean, you're what, nine hours ahead of me. So it almost is uh, Thanksgiving Day <laughs> if Germany were to celebrate it. But yeah, thank you. I will take it. And hopefully it's a happy Thanksgiving for you as well. I know it's not a formal German holiday, but with favorable NFL kickoff times, maybe a much better Thursday than usual in your neck of the woods also. It's my personal holiday. I mean, in Germany, we we don't have Thanksgiving as a holiday. It's basically like a soft church holiday where uh, churches do stuff on, on, on Sunday mornings. But for us, it's just a casual weekday. But for me, it's my personal holiday because I can get to watch uh, football starting at, I think, 6 p.m. tomorrow, uh, just until I uh, f fall asleep at some point. Sounds like a pretty good schedule. And I'll note before we get things rolling any further that for those of you who are live with us on YouTube and Twitter, Dan, thank you for making this uh, something that you can watch or listen to while you're hitting the gym. I see that in the YouTube comments. Anybody else who's with us, feel free to weigh in with any questions or comments, and we will work that into the show whenever possible. And also want to note off the top, this is take two, Fabian, getting you back on the show we were scheduled to reconvene in week nine, and then your wife gave birth to your son. And I want to congratulate you on the new addition to your family. And more important than anything on the NFL board this week, how are you and the family holding up with the new addition? Uh, very well. Um, I mean, it's not easy because now uh, uh, we have we have got a four-year-old and a baby. So uh, putting or getting everything together is uh, sometimes uh uh, so we were not used to handling that. So it, it's a whole new experience, but it makes a lot of fun. Everything is, uh, everyone's healthy. So I cannot complain at all. Nights are a little bit shorter right now, but there are, there are worse things in life. I bet. Well, in the interest of not making your night too short tonight, we will get this show on the road and dive into week 12 in the NFL, starting with sides as we often do. Fabian, maybe a little bit more opportunity this week than shows I typically do later in the week on Thursday evenings. The market might not be quite as efficient yet for a lot of the week 12 card. As the board currently stands, what would you identify as your favorite side on the NFL week 12 slate? Um, there are actually uh, two sites that I bet today and that mm. that uh, I like a lot at the current prices. Uh, once it's the um, Houston Texans uh, at home against the uh, Jacksonville uh, Jaguars. Um, the Jaguars have gotten better on offense in, in recent weeks. When you look at like underlying um, efficiency metrics, uh, 
passing EPA, uh, EPA per dropback success rate. The Jaguars are um, top 10 over the last, I don't know, five or six weeks. Um, Calvin Ridley, early in the season, he was just like that outside threat and they they didn't move uh, him across the formation and um, against against the Titans, all of a sudden, he's running routes over the middle of the field, maybe a little bit more versatile. Um, but I think over the over the course of the season and also in recent weeks, I've been more impressed with the Houston Texans offense. And I think it's going to come down to both passing offenses because it's hard to run the ball on the Jaguars all season long. Um, it's also gotten a lot harder to run the ball on the Texans in recent weeks. Both defenses, I think, since week six rank top six to top seven in uh, in uh, um, rushing success rate on defense. The Jaguars have gotten uh, have gotten up uh, a, a few more big plays on the ground, but overall, pretty decent run defenses. And both offenses also cannot run the ball all season. So I think it will really come down to who can throw the ball better. And right now I give a tiny little edge towards the Texans here. Um, I think that the uh, Jaguars passing defense is a little bit overrated. Um, Cedric Stroud, I mean, he is, I think right now, very matchup proof. When you look at coverage distributions against which coverages he is the best at, he's basically like very good against every coverage that opposing defenses run. He is uh, at the top of the league in terms of EPA per play and success rate um, uh, from clean pockets. So when he doesn't face pressure, the Jaguars defense is um, bottom six in pressure rate, ranked 29th in PFF's pass rushing grade. So I think that there will be a lot of opportunities for the Texans' passing offense to thrive in this game. And on the other side, the Texans' defense is not great against the pass. I don't expect them to put the clamps on on uh, Trevor Lawrence. If there is one maybe somewhat of an advantage for the Texans, it's that Trevor Lawrence has been much worse against zone coverage this season. He's been much better against man coverage. He didn't put up or hasn't put up great numbers against cover three, cover four kind of defenses. Texans defense plays a lot of zone. A combined 50 percentage um, uh, cover three, cover four. So that might be a small advantage. But overall, I, I right now, I just trust the Texans offense, uh, especially their passing offense, a little bit more. Uh, also, it helps, or well, it might help that there's a Shannon disciple going against the defense. Um, I mean, just two weeks ago, Shanahan did whatever he wanted with that defense. So, um, yes, um, overall, I I like the the Houston Texans here. I think that the the, the number right now is a little bit too high. It should be closer to pick him, in my opinion. Maybe uh, Houston Texans on the mind line uh, on the mind line at small favorites. But yeah, I'm going with the Texans here. Gotcha. And when we look at the point spread, I'm seeing Jags minus one and a half pretty much painted across the board. The one number that stands out is a minus two and minus one and a half to minus two, or in the case of the Texans, plus one and a half to plus two, oftentimes a trivial difference. But the reason this stands out to me, Suma, is that that plus two is at Circa. And oftentimes, if you're looking to take a team at the best price in the world, and that price happens to be at a book like Circa, 
that might be a little bit telling. Does that give you any hesitation or is it just that the difference between one and a half and two plus the other points you've already outlined still means a green light to proceed with the Texans here? It always does because, uh, I mean, I've got my spank odds open right now and the, 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 the first three columns are basically Pinnacle, Chris and Circa. And every time Circa is hanging a, a number that basically screws away for my bet, I'm always a little bit concerned inside, but it, it's still early and the, the, the Texans have gotten bad a lot this season. So maybe I wake up tomorrow morning and this number went down to one. Understood there. And I believe you said there was a second game you liked as well. Did I hear you correct on that front? Yes, exactly. Uh, it's the uh, Steelers um, minus one pretty much across the board. Only Pinnacle uh, went up towards minus two. I think there was a release earlier today um, on the Steelers, uh, which brought that number up. Um, I like the Steelers here. Um, it's it's not the OC change because I like the Steelers before that OC change. I think that our seed change is pretty much justified. Um, over, over the past couple of weeks, I think, let's say last five or six weeks, I, I did that query yesterday. The Steelers offense ranks, I think, first or second in EPA per rush and fourth in success rate uh, on the ground. So their run game has been really working, but there was no connection between the one game and the passing game. And, I th and maybe... That was the reason why Matt Canada had to go ultimately. And maybe the, the new OC will find a little bit more connection between the one and the pass and slash play action, play action game. Uh, I think Ben Solek from the ringer had a great um, video breakdown on uh, why those are or those have become issues with the, with the Steelers offense. But in general, um, it's more like I don't trust jake browning to run this Bengals offense because this offense t higgins dnp today hamstring injury tough i i lean towards him being out and this this offense without t higgins who is i think still criminally underrated really needs a quarterback who is accurate and on time who can navigate the pocket and distribute the ball um, short intermediately and Joe Burrow when completely healthy with T Higgins worked it into perfection for like two or three weeks but we also saw examples this season how the offense did not work when Joe Burrow was not 100% and that was still the same mind the same arm but he had some calf issues and I, I, I really think that Joe Burrow is like special to run this offense and Jake Browning might surprise me, but I just don't see how Jake Browning comes anywhere close to Joe Burrow when, when it comes to executing the, this offense. Um, Steelers, uh, uh, Jake Browning might hold the, the, the ball a, a little bit more, takes a, a few more unnecessary sacks against the Steelers pass rush. Um, Mika Fitzpatrick, three weeks removed from his hamstring injury. There's a decent chance that he might be back. He might be a decent boost for that Steelers defense. And I think that the Steelers defense has the advantage in this one. Then on the other side, I mean, I, I don't really trust that um, Steelers uh, passing game, but I think that the Bengals defense has been really, really bad when compared to expectations going into the season. 
Yes, Big Lou, their DC is always good to come up with a very specific game plan to get uh, the best out of opposing quarterbacks. But I think that the Steelers' offense will be able to run the ball well on the Bengals' below-average run defense, and that might open up some stuff in the in, in the in the passing game. So this, I expect this to be a classic Steelers football: pound the ball, play play good defense, maybe win the turnover battle kind of game. And yeah, um, at at minus one, it it was a bet to make for me. All right, so Pittsburgh minus one, as well as Houston plus one and a half, or perhaps some interest in Houston at plus 105 on the money line, taking on the Jags would be two looks for Suma as far as sides go in week 12. I'm going to go with another AFC team, and I will say I had this written down before tuning into forward progress right before we hopped on this show. And whenever I jot something down and then Rob Pozzola touches on some of the same points, I feel validated as a better. So my look here is New England minus three at the Giants. Good up to minus 120. And I will note in the spirit of full transparency here, last week's win taking the Browns against the Steelers boosted my record on the season on the show to a whopping three and eight on sides. So Suma, I guess that puts me two games ahead of our good friend Hitman for context, but still plenty of room for improvement. And uh, I hope that Hitman's on the upswing. I hope to continue the upswing in my own right as well, looking to the Patriots to achieve that this week. And three core pillars to the handicap that I'd put together here. First off, looking at the quarterback situation for both teams. For New England, I know it's a big question mark, but it's hard for me to see it getting any worse than it's been recently. For the Giants, I think when it comes to their quarterback performance, it's hard to see it not getting worse than what we saw last week out of Tommy DeVito and company. DeVito's passing numbers look good, and credit to last week's guest, Sharp Clark, also does a lot of good work on the Forward Progress channel. Clark's prop bet was DeVito over 160 and a half passing yards, and that one cashed comfortably before halftime. I just don't think DeVito's in store for a repeat performance this week. Because the Giants won the game, I think it's going a bit underreported or, or underspoken in the sports media verse that DeVito was sacked nine times, hit 11 more times against a Washington defense that had traded away its two best pass rushers. So I think the Patriots defense set up for success in this matchup. And beyond the quarterback play, turnovers played a major role in what we saw out of the Giants last week. They were plus six in turnovers for the game, and they were plus five in turnovers when Washington had the ball and was driving in Giants territory for a potential game-winning touchdown. So that sixth turnover, a pick six, really sealed the game, but it was hanging in the balance despite the Giants having a monster edge in a turnover metric that is very informative into how any one game will play out, but not so predictive in terms of what we could expect to see moving forward. And last but not least, Suma on the Forward Progress show today. You mentioned this is your headline for the game. I think the window could be closing on a tried and true angle. It might be our last call to find value betting Bill Belichick against a rookie quarterback. So all this considered, I'm in on the Giants. Excuse me. I am not in on the Giants. I'm in on the Patriots against the Giants, laying three points with New England, considering it good up to minus 120. Suma, any thoughts on the handicap or this matchup that's uh, not all that fun, but maybe offering a little bit of bet betting value, Patriots at the Giants? I completely agree with that uh, and with everything that you have said. Um, I mean, Dan Rivera, very good question. I mean, 6-0 turnovers, like hitting a few wide open guys, like that game felt so unsustainable going forward and 
for as bad as the Patriots were, they are still clearly one tier above the Giants, in my opinion. Um, uh, Patriots might get a a a little bit healthier on on uh, a defense. Um, a pretty interesting stat is that Matthew Junior is still the um, sack leader for the Patriots, despite being out. I think he had a torn biceps or thumbs or, or something for like uh, seven weeks or something now. Um, but I still think that this Patriots defense still has enough horses to not getting beat by by Tommy DeVito. I think that the Pats will be very good at defending the run, and then it's basically can Tommy DeVito make consistent plays to be the Bill Belichick Patriots defense, and my answer would be no. And on the other side, this this might be a game where the Patriots win the turnover battle. I mean, you always want to win the turnover battle. It's, it's very easy to say. But um, Patriots' run defense has been uh, working in, in recent weeks. Giants not that great at defending the run. So the Pats will likely lean on their run game and uh, ask McJones if he plays not to make too many mistakes. And that might just be enough. I mean, I have zero trust in this Giants and, and in this Giants offense. All right. A lot of good food for thought as far as sides go this week. Suma, I want to work in some teaser talk as well as we do regularly on this show when it comes to the week 12 teaser slate always looking at that classic model first off teasing through the key numbers of three and seven ideally laying no more than minus 120 sorry if you're in nevada elsewhere if you've got DraftKings or some offshores shopping around should offer that price point for some plus ev teasers this week i'm seeing forfeits based on that model as the board currently stands Detroit minus one and a half hosting Green Bay in the first game of a Thanksgiving Day triple header. And then moving on to Sunday, Houston could be taken up to plus seven and a half, potentially plus eight at some spots, hosting Jacksonville. Tampa Bay up to plus eight and a half at Indianapolis, as well as Cleveland up to plus seven and a half at Denver. Suma, among those four options or perhaps anything else, I'm seeing San Francisco take some money. It looks like the first seven and a half, uh, seven and a half are starting to come up. So, um, any thoughts on the four games I mentioned or anything else that's catching your interest for teaser potential across the week 12 board? Yes, uh, pretty much agree. Um, San Francisco is also on my radar. Um, Detroit, San Francisco is a great teaser, in my opinion. I think now when looking at the board, I think KC might hit the teaser window as well. Mm -hmm. Chris is shaded towards uh, Las Vegas. There are a few PPH is shaded, uh, bet online is shaded. So I might not be, I, I will not be surprised if, if we get KC into the window, uh, into the teaser window, will be a, um, a, a teaser for me. I also kind of like the Browns teased up at Denver. Browns took money today, but it's still a one and a half pretty much across the board. So teasing the Browns up, I'm I, I just, I mean, there is, some bad potential variants with DTR where he has a game where he completely collapses with like three turnovers. I, I just don't see the Broncos winning by nine plus in this one, to be honest. Uh, sorry, uh, eight plus in this one. Um, I think Broncos will have a very hard time against that Browns defense. On the other side, Browns should be able to run the ball well, use a lot of uh, short passes and maybe tight end screens to David and Joko. So, uh, yeah, I think overall Detroit, San, Fran Detroit San, Fran San Francisco, Cleveland, and maybe KC if it gets there would be my teaser options to look at. 
And if you were to narrow it down to two right now, if I'm to force you to say two team six point teaser, it sounds like maybe waiting to see what happens with San Francisco and Kansas City. So at the moment, maybe Cleveland and Detroit. Am I reading that right? Or what you what would you say if you were locking in a two teamer at this moment? Right now, I would go with Detroit and, and San Francisco since KC is not officially there. I mean, there are uh, that. I mean, San Francisco is shaded towards the seven and a half. So if you tease it down to minus one, and you think that we will see a flat seven and a half, I mean, that's still a very decent teaser, in my opinion. All right, I am with you on the Lions, and I think we had a comment earlier. We did, uh, also from our good friend Dan, about the Lions seeming short after the Packers injury report. That teaser should be a home run leg. Whenever anything sounds too good to be true, I'm always you know, a little bit cautious about completely unloading on one side, but I really do like the notion of getting behind the Lions at this number. I think it's a classic case of taking a superior team at home to do little more than win outright. And I also think that a lot of talk I've heard this week about the Green Bay offense improving might be a bit of a mirage. If we look back on their game winning drive last week, and I know this is a painful topic for both of us, myself as a Chargers fan, yourself as oh, a Chargers man. better last week, that game winning drive included Jordan Love fumbling the ball, but the Packers recovered. Then on a third and 20, Chargers pass interference on a pass that wasn't really even a competitive play from the offense, gave Green Bay a fresh set of downs. Then the Chargers had a missed tackle, probably multiple missed tackles on a short dump off to turn it into a huge gain. And then a, a pretty rough miscommunication on the final play of the drive to allow what turned out to be the game winning touchdown pass for the Packers. So I think if all those things don't happen, some of the narrative around Jordan Love's improvement and Green Bay's offensive improvement as a whole might be a little bit tempered. And then I will acknowledge Detroit's defense, the improvement on that side of the ball, also not as significant as it had seemed at points earlier in this season. But barring a Chargers collapse last week, I just don't think the Packers are getting as much love as they've been getting in recent days. And Aaron Jones's absence. I know it's very in vogue in 2023 to say running backs don't matter, but his absence compared to the other options in that Packers backfield could be impactful here. So all things considered, Detroit down to minus one and a half, my favorite teaser leg of the week. And I'm going to pair them with the Browns. You touched on a lot of reasons why, so I won't belabor the point. But with that elite defense, and I feel like with the state of Denver's offense, the Broncos not equipped to beat this team by much of a margin in this one. So give me Detroit paired with Cleveland for the teaser of the week. And then as far as the possible three-teamer goes, I mean, you talked about the Chiefs and 49ers as other potentially viable options. I heard a lot of the points you made on the Texans as a side. I'd also say taking them up through a touchdown could offer some value. So I don't at all hate the notion of putting Houston in the mix with Detroit and Cleveland, where you can get plus 160 or better on a three-team teaser. And as you noted, keep an eye out for San Francisco and Kansas City as the market continues to develop with some of those bigger favorites on this week's card as well. Sumo, we've covered sides, we've covered teasers. Let's get into props right now. I know that you were doing some last minute digging. So if you don't have as much conviction on a prop as you did on what you broke down with sides and teasers, that's totally okay. But what are you looking at right now? If there's anything that does stand out and, and how much conviction would you really have behind possibly putting a bet behind it? Yeah, uh, I was looking for some Sam Laporta props uh, because I think he might have a very decent game um, against that. Uh, I mean, that Packers defense, I think they are really, really bad. Uh, Jay Alexander was limited twice today. I I, I, I have not checked um, uh, tracked his reports fully today. He might be back, but Devondre Campbell is uh, might still be out. And that Packers 
defense, plays a lot of cover three, and cover three is really the go-to coverage for Jared Goff to excel against. So um, I, I, I think that tight ends can do a lot of damage against that uh, defense. I mean, last year, uh, last week, we 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 saw a, a Chargers a third stringer basically getting a a huge I, I don't know a seventy-two yard touchdown against that defense. I think uh, Sam Laporta is good for like uh, five or six catches with a decent yardage. So those were props that I was uh, looking right before the show. Got it. And looking for the most up-to-date numbers, I can see it looks like Laporta currently lines at almost across the board, 46 and a half, shaded a bit to the over at one of the sharper books that's known to take a bet at this market. So where you can find it at a flat 46 and a half at other books, maybe there's some value there. Also receptions, four and a half, a pretty flat minus 115 or so at most shops. Um, between those two or any other angles, is there one number that you would identify as intriguing you the most when it comes to Sam Laporta tomorrow morning? I would probably go with the yards because um, there might be a game state where the Lions like completely hammer the Packers, uh, basically the 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 fatter tail outcome, and that way they might come down lean more towards their, their running game. So I could see like Laporta having like one or two big plays, but maybe not necessarily going at uh, going towards five plus receptions. So I would probably take the yards or I would prefer the yards over the receptions. All right. Sam Laporta over 46 and a half receiving yards on Thanksgiving and Suma. I will keep the earlier in the week NFL slate rolling with our teaser talk here going to Black Friday. Looking at Brees Hall over 13 and a half rushing attempts, I am seeing that at minus 114 at a leading U.S. regulated book. I consider it good, a, a decent bit above that as far as the juice we're laying, but but some of these over 13 and a half attempts for Hall are quite juicy. I think it might be more analogous to 14 and a half, closer to a flat minus 115. If we're doing a bit of educated guesswork on the value of one carry, of course, if all lands on 14, we want to be mindful of the repercussions of that relative to the number we're getting on this prop. But if we're looking at over 13 and a half or, or even good up to 14 and a half at flat minus 115 VIG, I think of something I heard from G Stack George on Forward Progress yesterday. He talked about the Jets probably looking to minimize variance with their quarterback change to Tim Boyle. That could entail more handoffs to Hall just to try to get something productive out of the offense and minimize any potentially negative swings that the Jets offense has grown all too familiar to during the Zach Wilson era. And also just looking at this game from an overarching standpoint, I like the Jets against the spread when we're talking double digits. And if this game happens to be close, then I think that lends itself to a more favorable game script for Hall to get more carries out of the backfield. But Suma, I know that you're much closer to the Jets as a fan of the team. So I'm curious to hear what you think about the odds of the Jets feeding Hall in their Black Friday matchup against the Dolphins. I think they will feed Hall at least early in the game. I think you really want this game not to get out of hand quickly. Um, so um, if the Dolphins can put early scoring pressure on the Jets, we saw might not get there, but I think that the Jets will approach this game as they are going to play a close one with a lot a lot of quick short passes, lots of Brees Hall runs. The issue is that I don't see how the Jets will have a good running game because that that offensive line is in shambles. They could not run the ball at all in recent. Nomikai Beck might also be out. Dolphins defense has been gotten better, so. 
the Dolphins don't really need to respect like the passing game a whole lot. So um, the only thing to worry about is that it could get out of hand early and the, and the Jets will be forced to air it out and will likely see more uh, hall touches th through the air at some point. But overall, I think that's probably the right approach and you are probably thinking like the Jets offensive staff in terms of how they will approach this game. Um, spread, I uh, cannot get there at nine. I mean, at 10, maybe a little bit, but I make this game about nine and a half right now. Um, I think there's a scenario in which Tim Boyle is like that solid game manager that surprised us a little bit. But I think there's also a scenario in which he's worse than, than Zach Wilson because with Zach Wilson, you still always had the chance for a scramble. And not only a scramble to get like first downs, but just a scramble to throw the ball away. Just just throw the ball out of bounds, which is better than taking a, a like deeper sack or something. And the the best offensive play for the Jets this season has been Zach Wilson scrambles on on 25 scrambles he's averaging 0.05 EPA per play that's better than the Jets passing game or than the Jets rushing game so if you take that away you have a statue behind a bad O line in a questionable offensive system against a big Fangio defense that's getting better and better that scares me a lot and that's why I could not personally touch the Jets at this number. I hear you on that. And I think one of my biggest takeaways is the reason for identifying attempts versus something like yardage or banking on more production out of Hall could be that, yeah, the, the attempt itself is in trouble if this game gets out of hand. But with the attempts, at least if the Jets try to feed Hall early and often, it's not banking on the offensive line really moving Miami's defense too much. It's just more of a volume play, trying to protect Boyle a little bit. So Hall doesn't have to be all that productive to go over this number. So that's maybe a little bit of protection relative to a yardage prop, almost the antithesis to why you like Laporta yardage over relative to his receptions number. Yes, gotcha. All right, well, that covers it for sides, teasers, and props this week. At this point, I will plug in my weekly reminder to the audience that I'm partnering with the team over at Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And with its team of pro sports betters, Right Angle Sports has built a reputation as the gold standard for picks. They've got something for everybody, whether you're looking to check out their NFL offerings or their college basketball service, which has an unparalleled track record of success. If you're interested in giving it a shot, no obligation, but you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can check out to do so. It's tinyurl.com slash raspicks. If you're with us on YouTube or in podcast form, that link is in the show notes. And on Twitter, that link is in the show's profile bio. Moving on, let's go through a rapid fire rundown of the picks that Suma and I have shared so far on this show. The Props and Hops NFL Week 12 portfolio, as far as sides go, Two of them, courtesy of Suma. First up, Houston, plus one and a half hosting Jacksonville. Consider also mixing in some plus 105 on the money line for the Texans. And also Suma on Pittsburgh, minus one at Cincinnati. I'm on New England, minus three at the Giants. And consider that good up to big of minus 120. As far as teasers go, Suma is interested in Detroit, minus one and a half hosting the Packers, paired with the 49ers, minus one at the Seahawks on a Turkey Day teaser. Both of those games bookending the Thanksgiving triple header. I'm aligned with Suma on teasing Detroit, and I'm pairing them with Cleveland up to plus seven and a half at Denver. 
As far as props go, Suma on Sam Laporta over 46 and a half receiving yards. And I'm on Brees Hall over 13 and a half carries. That number is a bit juicy. Is it a lot of shops? So I would say don't lay more than minus 130 on that 13 and a half number. But if you see 14 and a half at a flat minus 115, I also like that to the over for Brees Hall rushing attempts against the Dolphins on Black Friday. Suma, moving on from the picks portion of the show into the process where I really love to nerd out with smart people such as yourself. I'll just rip off the Band-Aid here and note that last week, your best bet on forward progress was the Chargers minus three at the Packers, and that gave you a taste of life as a Chargers fan. First and foremost, I guess misery loves company, so I, I didn't mind having your company on that front. What did you think of the experience rooting for the Chargers throughout the course of that game, having laid the points with them in Green Bay? So I really enjoy sweating bets. And in the NFL, like every week feels like the majority of bets go into the witching hour and you are going to sweat until the, the, the last drive. And I will admit that I hate losing. So sometimes on these like close losses, I will be mad for like five or 10 minutes. And then at some point it, it, it's okay again. And I know, yes, tough losses will, will even out in the, in the long run. Therefore, I will get like a, a lucky bounce uh, at some point in the future. But this Chargers game, I, I, I can't remember when I was as mad about a loss in, in like recent memory. So, I mean, that was completely max pain. Like every time I think the, the, the Chargers have covered all the avenues to uh, lose bets on them, they will always surprise me with a new way of, of losing. I mean, that one, I mean, Keenan Allen dropped a touchdown. He dropped a, a, a play that, that would have been a first and goal, turned into two field goals, eight points left on the board. Then uh, I think it was also Keenan Allen dropped a crazy ball on that uh, first drive, wide open over the middle of the field on like fourth and short. Then he I dropped think that might have been Donald Parham, but yeah, that was the first okay, drop yeah, of many on yes, the day. Yes, yes, yes. That was Parham. And then Keenan Allen had, had another drop where Herbert threw a laser through like three defenders and Keenan Allen had the ball in his chest basically and still dropped it. So three crazy Keenan Allen drops. I mean, when you play against the sun and you have one drop because of the sun, like, don't they have like more tainted visors at the sideline? <laughs> that was my question. Like, just use another visor and you can play against the sun. But doesn't matter. Austin Eckler fumble at the three yard line of the Packers, and then the 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 like most crushing defeat was you mentioned already the last Packers drive with their offense, like. You get to a third and 20, John La fumbles the ball, recovers it. Not the, Sorry, I forgot that Joy Bosa got injured on the fourth play of the game. Okay, last drive, Chargers force a, 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 a I think, strip sack. John Love covers the ball, and then on third and 20, instead of just letting the play evolve, try to play tight coverage, but let John Love make the perfect play. Don't hold anyone. Don't commit DPI. Bam, the Chargers defense commits DPI. Next play, short pass, I think, to Jane Reed. I don't remember correctly. Two linebackers cannot tackle him. Breaks off for like 20 or 25 yards. 
And then the next or second to next play was the touchdown for the Packers. Like that was Max Payne. And if that wasn't enough, like Quentin Johnson drops, I think we can argue that it was a walk-in touchdown because that ball was hit or was was placed in stride. And if he just catches it and keeps running, he might have scored for the touchdown. But drops it, not even to field goal range. Uh, Herbert gets sacked, I guess. Game over. So, I mean, I have experienced many, many crushing Chargers bets in the past, like with, with Philip Rivers in 2016, 2017. But that one might be at the top of the bad Chargers lost bets power rating. And that's saying something given the history that you touched on. When you were talking about that final defensive drive in that third and 20, I had a flashback to the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but there's a scene no. where Jason Siegel's character is taking surfing lessons and Paul Rudd is the instructor. And the instruction is do less, just do less. He's like trying too hard. You know, you, you don't want to just, you know, fight a force that you can't possibly defeat. And with the Chargers oftentimes on third and long, Staley says they're coaching these guys up well and the scheme and the play calling isn't the problem, but consistently on third and 11 or longer. So not even no gain on first and second down, but if the offense is literally behind the chains on third down, the chargers consistently commit penalties to just wipe out a massive advantage that they could have defensively. So sometimes do less. And, and that could ease a lot of pain for the players, for the coaches, for fans and betters alike. We'll see what we get out of them moving forward. But Suma, in all seriousness, I wanted to touch on this notion because some teams are prone to more or less variance than others. As we've seen time and time again, teams like the Chargers tend to cluster toward a narrow range of outcomes. And then other teams offer wide swings in variance from week to week. And I'm curious as to how you factor a team's variance into your handicapping process when considering different bet types, such as point spreads, alt spreads, money lines, teasers, totals. If you've got a team like the Chargers that you can almost bank on every week being a three-point game for better or worse, usually for worse, or a team where a double-digit win or loss wouldn't be a surprise, how do you go about baking that into your process as an NFL handicapper? Yes, it it absolutely does. Uh, some teams also, especially this season with all the uh, quarterback injuries where we see backup guys, uh, first first time starters, etc. The 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 amount of variance and and the width of the variance um, always uh, is is like different for different quarterbacks. For the Chargers, I mean, I think they aren't your friend when you need to lay too many points. I would say, so because like. <laughs> They always find ways to play close games. I think the last very con convincing win was against the Bears, where I think the Chargers didn't even play Kuwait game offensively, but the Chargers defense could not tackle at all and lots of screens to Austin Eckler and stuff like that. But in general, the Chargers always continue to amaze me. And I would have a question for you. At which point do you want to see Brandon Staley getting fired? Um, I would say about 11 months ago when <laughs> Mike Williams was playing week 18 in Denver and Justin Herbert's getting hit in that game in the third quarter. And you've already got, I think it was the five seed locked in. You knew the matchup. You knew what your seed was. You knew your opponent the next week. That game literally meant nothing. 
there had probably been plenty of questionable things leading up to that point. But that was really the nail in the coffin for me, especially given the way the team proceeded to melt down after building up a 27 to nothing lead in Jacksonville. And this year, unfortunately, has just done nothing to inspire any confidence. I, I hate to root for somebody to lose their job. But I have friends who have had on this show, like Las Vegas Chris, who are a Lions fan. And I'm saying, hey, guys, like, when is Ben Johnson going to be the head coach of the Chargers? Because any, especially a, a bright offensive mind, but, but anything other than what Staley has been bringing to the table for the better part of the last calendar year would probably have the team in a much better spot. So don't want to see anybody go through some hard times. I, I wish Staley the best moving forward, but I also wish that sooner rather than later, that future for him does not involve patrolling the sidelines for the Chargers anymore. Yes. Uh, I mean, I wish nothing more than a good, sound, offensive-minded coach for Justin Herbert because he had that slump in, like, October, I would say. He also had, had a finger injury. Don't know whether that made a, a a lot up for it, but Justin Herbert, the last couple of weeks, playing like a cyborg, and it pains me to see them consistently underperforming despite him being great. Yeah, as a fan, I'm glad that I'm not alone in that. It feels like there aren't too many Charger fans, but just as a fan of the game, when Herbert performs the way he did, especially this past Sunday, there have been games, maybe part of it was the finger injury. There were times where I've been a little bit harsh on him for um, possible game-winning drives against Miami at Tennessee early in the season, not only not delivering on those drives with any points, but not even getting any first downs. At times, I would like to see more from Herbert under those high-pressure moments, but you can't put any of this loss on him this past Sunday. No turnovers. I guess there's a signature pass batted down that ended the game after the Quinton Johnston drop. I don't understand how a quarterback of Herbert's physical stature seems to lead the world by a mile in getting passes batted down. So maybe there's something there that he he could do better. I mean, he's human. Patrick Mahomes could have played better on Monday night. He threw an interception in the end zone. So it's not all on MVS or any one player. But I'm glad that as a fan, um, it, it's it's not just me going crazy, but even just betters and fans of the sport uh, would like to see certain franchises, you know, do better around their star players over time as well. Yes, absolutely. We've got a chat and then uh, we can move on. I know this isn't just a Chargers show, but Dan brings up a, a good question. Is three and a half even worth the money for the Chargers referring to their Sunday night matchup hosting the Ravens? Seems like all they do or no, seems like they will do something dumb and all of a sudden Ravens will be up 10 late in the fourth. It, it's hard for me to argue against taking more than a field goal at the Chargers. Almost the opposite side of the coin that you mentioned, Suma, about laying too many points with them. Any narrow range of outcomes win or lose is always on the table so if i had to bet this game i would only look to the chargers getting more than a field goal but based on what i've seen from them lately i can't endorse putting any money on them at this stage so let me know if you have any thoughts but um, an interesting question from dan there about what could possibly be a pretty entertaining game on sunday night yeah i mean ex exactly what he said so if i would be betting the chargers this week i know that the ravens will rush for 238 yards and uh, win by 17. I think that would absolutely be the case. Um, I get the move down on the Chargers. I, uh, I think it was also a, a right angle sports release yesterday. Um, it makes sense because the Chargers offense is still capable. We saw it of going toe to toe with the Ravens here and the Ravens are down. Mark Andrews, Lama Jackson is a little bit banged up at his ankle. I think, Rashad Bateman did not practice today. So um, Ronnie Stanley is still banged up. So Ravens are dealing with a few injuries. 
And fr from that point of view, I would not be surprised if the Charles Math is a, a very competitive close game. All right. Well, there would be no surprise to see a close game that goes toward the Ravens at the end in heartbreaking fashion. But we'll wait and see. We've got a few days till that game rolls around. In the meantime, Sumo, we can wrap up this show with two pillars, the Malinsky Minute and the Hops, combined into one segment here. As we approach Thanksgiving here in the United States, I often think back to Dave being so fond of food and beer pairings. Oftentimes, the right pairing could equate to the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. So with Thanksgiving representing one of the best opportunities of the year for a lot of us here in the U.S. to embrace this approach, I'm wondering, Suma, on your side of the world, any food and beer pairings that you might recommend to this audience beyond the Thanksgiving holiday to possibly experiment with sometime in the near future? Yes, um, I guess I will not make too many friends with this, but uh, it's going to be a food like uh, chicken wings, for example, chicken wings or ribs, and you pair it with Budweiser, but the real one from <laughs> Czech Republic. Uh, yes. I mean, this Budweiser is excellent. It's a little bit sweeter than like casual German Pilsner, but it, I think it fits well to almost like every meal. And um, I, I have like uh, a two, I, I don't even know what the English word is. So in, in Germany, we uh, always buy beer in like big buckets, like 20 times half liter. And uh, I, I still got a lot of Budweiser over here. And this will be my go-to beer tomorrow. And I will say, I can now attest to it from firsthand experience. Key distinction, though you clarified which version of Budweiser to use in this pairing. I had a chance to spend some time in Europe earlier in the summer. And when I was in Vienna, had proper Budweiser night and day from what we see. Same name, completely different beer. And yes. yeah, I would take another chance to enjoy that beer in a heartbeat. So if anybody has a chance anywhere in Europe anytime soon to follow Suma's advice, I will highly endorse it as well. And if you're not going to be in Europe, but you're in the U.S. and wondering what to do, I've got a recommendation for you as well. If you're open to a food and beer pairing, and mine will stick with the theme of Thanksgiving. So tomorrow, my brother will be deep frying a turkey. And when he's done with that, I can't wait to crack open a West Coast IPA to go with it. I think that with turkey on Thanksgiving, the deep frying that my brother does adds some nice fat and flavor that can really stand up to a bold and you know, citrusy, resinous IPA. And an IPA has some restrained bitterness with a crisp dry finish that I often think keeps you coming back for more, both in terms of more turkey and more beer to go with it. I will say that I'm looking forward to this fried turkey, but you can't go wrong with just about any turkey, deep fried or not, so long as it's well prepared. And in terms of a specific beer, I feel like you can't really go wrong with any West Coast IPA in this equation. But for a particular beer, I will recommend, especially on a holiday, Celebration Ale by Sierra Nevada. I highlighted the beer last week, so I won't run through all the tasting notes again, but it is just absolutely perfect for a holiday feast like a lot of Americans will be enjoying on Thanksgiving Day. So, Zuma, I'm jealous of your access to a proper Budweiser, but if you ever have a chance uh, in the U.S. Or, or anywhere in the world that Celebration Ale might appear by Sierra Nevada over the holiday season each year, I'd say to keep that one on your radar as well. I will say um, uh, I've got a major grocery store it's not like the the walmart's of the us for example but i've got a grocery grocery store like five minutes away who have like three or four different ipas all the time and i think i've 
see in Sierra Nevada there. I will check it out tomorrow, and when I see it, I will buy it and send you a picture. Oh man, if if you're able to get a picture of Celebration Ale in Germany, then I will uh, be sure to share that via the Props Nops channel to bring things full circle. But yeah, if, if there's any hoppy beer by Sierra Nevada, it's not gonna um, be a bad one. They're all good across the board to varying degrees, and Celebration Ale kind of it takes the cake from my perspective there. So on that note, we will move on from the Molinsky Minute and the hops. And I've got one more quick ask for the audience here. If you're still with us, that's a pretty good sign that you're enjoying the show on YouTube. If you're with us in that form, please like this video on Twitter. You can like the post that is hosting this video in podcast form. If you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated. And last but not least, however you're listening, once again, you can support this show by supporting Red Angle Sports via a custom link that I've built, tinyurl.com slash raspicks on YouTube and in podcast form. That link is in the show notes. And on Twitter, that link is in the show's profile bio. Sumo, we'll go ahead and wrap things up on that note. I do want to say before we sign off that everybody catching this conversation can find your work via Forward Progress and on Twitter at Suma810. And as some final words, Congrats again on re recently welcoming a son into the world, a new addition to your family. Glad all is going well on that front. And whenever we can connect in this form, it's such a blast. Suma, thank you so much for your time and insight this week. Yes, man. Uh, Matt, uh, it was great to be back. And you got my number. Always call me. All right, I'll probably take you up on that as we approach the postseason. But in the meantime, last but not least, I want to thank everybody for watching and listening this week. Appreciate the time. To those of you in the U.S., have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And wherever you may be, enjoy Week 12 in the NFL. And best of luck with your bets this weekend.